Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a podcast about the humanities and interdisciplinarity, produced by the Cohen Center for the Humanities at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Connor. And I'm Morgan. And today we are sitting down with Sheena Ramirez, a doctorate student at the JMU Music Program, and Adina Langer of Kennesaw State University. Together, they collaborated on Words, Music, Memory, Representing Voices from the Holocaust, a traveling exhibit which focuses on music based on the words of young people who witnessed the Holocaust. Sheena is the leading vocalist and Adina is the exhibit curator. Welcome to the podcast, Sheena and Adina. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So can you tell us a bit more about yourselves and your professional background? I can get started. Uh, so my name is Sheena Ramirez, and I am a doctoral candidate here in the School of Music. I am also a staff member for the College of Visual and Performing Arts. I'm the director of recruitment. Uh, so I work with students in, who are trying to decide what school to go to in School of Art, Design, Art, History, School of Music, and School of Theater and Dance. Uh, my background uh, goes back in the performing arts uh, to undergrad. I have both my bachelor's and master's degree in voice performance, and I have been doing solo vocal recitals for uh, since then for a very long time. And so I have been able to kind of carve out this great career where I can uh, still be very active as a performer uh, through the doctoral program here at JMU while also helping students in an administrative role uh, and find their passion for the arts that way. I'm Adina Langer, and um, I'm a public historian, um, and I've been the curator of the Museum of History and Holocaust Education at Kennesaw State University since uh, 2015. Um, my background in public history uh, goes back to undergrad when I, where I studied history and creative writing, um, but I, I pursued my master's degree at NYU in archives and public history, uh, graduated in 2009. And my career really started um, at the National September 11th Memorial and Museum in New York City, um, where I gathered and interpreted stories of those who were killed as a result of the terrorist attacks um, on 9-11, um, as well as those who worked in the rescue and recovery efforts. So that's kind of where I got started telling stories to the public. Both of you seem really passionate about um, what you do and with words, music and memory. Uh, tell us about how this exhibit started. Uh, what drew you to this topic and brought you together for this exhibit? The seeds of this project actually go back pretty far. Uh, Sheena and I lived across the hall from each other freshman year at Oberlin. Um, and uh, we discovered that we really enjoyed discussing poetry um, and prepare, when, whenever Sheena was preparing for her recitals of art songs, um, my creative writing major, I concentrated on poetry. And so she came to me at some point and said, hey, do you wanna talk about, um, help, help me think through what these words mean, you know, what, what, how we're going to interpret them, how I'm going to sing them for my uh, performances. And so that's something we got started with years ago. 
and kind of kept it up even after graduation. Um, and so when Sheena came to me in 2019 with uh, her preparations for her third year uh, doctoral recital where she was performing in Sleep the World is Yours based on the poetry of Selma Mirbaum Eisenker um, and the music of Laurie Leitman. Um, it was perfect in terms of my experience as a curator of a Holocaust museum to kind of help think through what this young girl's life was like and what that might contribute to her, her words. Um, and so that's that's really the spark of the collaboration. Um, Sheena, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about how it progressed. Sure, I can do that. So I had initially had my doctoral dissertation. My doctoral dissertation topic was going to be on college admissions and looking at how music majors were going through the college admissions process. And I had some great meetings with some folks here at JMU, which taught me all about the IRB process and about doing research, qualitative analysis. And uh, so as a part of that dissertation, I needed to have a lecture recital. So I was thinking through what kind of topics could I do for a lecture recital since it wasn't necessarily related to my dissertation topic. And uh, when I was con having this co contact with Adina going through this poetry, there was so much there. And I was like, you know, I, I think Lori Leitman has written other song cycles of, of on the topic of the Holocaust, maybe maybe I could do that for my lecture recital. And then Dina was like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And, and hey, maybe you could do a version of that lecture recital here at, at Kennesaw State University as a part of the, our, uh, the museum. And so we started like, yeah, maybe we can do that. And then I think I had this epiphany moment in like February after we had been talking about it for a few months. I said, you know, I hate my doctoral dissertation topic. <laughs> I really want to do this as my doctoral dissertation. Uh, and I reached out to the composer, Lori Leitman, and she has been absolutely wonderful. She emailed me back right away and was so supportive of providing interviews, providing music. She created uh, adaptations for English horn and for oboe so that we could perform um, all four of her soprano song cycles in one concert with, with one uh, additional woodman player. And uh, the, the ball just kept rolling. We had a pandemic in the between, so it took a little bit longer than I think we had initially anticipated. But uh, the, the project is really, really taken root now. We had our first opening concert at, uh, at the Bailey School of Music at Kennesaw State University uh, just last weekend. So uh, I went down there with my two musical collaborators uh, uh, from JMU and we performed music by Lori Leitman and Dr. Lawrence Schur. And then we had an opportunity to have a dinner with, with Holocaust survivors as well as uh, members of the community who have been active in the Museum of History and Holocaust Education and hearing their stories and seeing how this music really affected them and 
brought all of these connections to life for people who have thought about this and who have been involved in this work for a long time was probably the most gratifying part of, of putting this program together. And I'll also add, um, you know, for me, um, being in Holocaust education, a lot of what we do really focuses on the history and on sort of a social studies orientation. Um, our museum tends to be geared toward fifth grade through college audiences, and it, it coincides with sort of where the Holocaust appears in the school curricula. But speaking with Sheena and really thinking about poetry and the writings of young people, this was an, another angle to pursue, which really sparked my passion because I, you know, as I mentioned, I started out as a creative writing major. I have this kind of literature background. And so this gave me the opportunity to, to dive more deeply and broadly into the topic. So in addition to, uh, the poetry that Laurie Leitman set to music, which was written by Selma Mirbaum Isinger and Nellie Sachs and Anne Ranasinga um, and Franta Bass, I looked a little bit more broadly at performance um, based on Holocaust poetry and other writings. And that became the basis for the larger exhibit. So the exhibit actually includes writings that were turned into uh, plays, um, Anne Frank's diary, for example, um, or which was turned into a play and also a film and then also um, an anime uh, feature film in the 1990s, you know, sort of this long progression. Um, Ava Heyman's diary, which became Ava.stories, which is a, an Instagram uh, video diary that came out um, in 2019. And then beyond the art songs and even the choral music um, that we looked at for a couple of these authors, um, opera. So um, I, I had the opportunity to speak with um, uh, Jean Schur and Jake Heggie about their production of um, Out of Darkness to Remain, which is based on the writings of Christina Zavolska and Gad Beck. Um, and there's more and more. So um, I will also note that having this um, as an impetus to get connected more deeply with uh, Dr. Lawrence Schur and his longtime uh, research and Holocaust commemorative compositions. This is something he had worked with the museum before I was there, but I had not yet had the chance to work with him. And so this became an opportunity to get to know him and his work better. Um, and I think that really strengthened the partnership that resulted in in this production. Absolutely. To have such uh, a talented composer in residence who had such a wide body of work that was very related to this topic, which if you look at the gallery guide um, for the Words Music Memory exhibition, it goes into some really uh, incredible comparisons of some of the work that Dr. Schur has looked at for the poetry of Nellie Sachs, comparing that to the work of uh, Lori Leitman's uh, adaptations of the words of Nellie Sachs. So it, it really brings together some 
incredible music from across multiple different genres and styles. And I will say as well that due to that partnership, we um, looked a little bit more deeply at the poetry of resistance as well. So um, Dr. Schur had composed a cello sonata based on the uh, collected um, songs of, I think it's songs of the ghettos and concentration camps um, by Schmerka. Kaczerginski, um, and he set one of Kaczerginski's uh, poems uh, to music, um, specifically for soprano, written for uh, Sheena to perform, and then adapted the um, first movement, I believe, of the cello sonata to be for oboe and piano instead of cello and piano. So that was a premiere um, that we were able to do at our concert on Sunday. Thank you. This sounds like such an amazing collaborative project. And of course, with any collaboration, um, there's always going to be, I'm sure, some challenges. So um, we just wanted to ask, what were some challenges you encountered just in, in making this a reality? Well, I think it's it's always tricky to plan concerts in another state. Um, while we did have, you know, half of our group is here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. The other half is in uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. So all of the planning we've been doing has been virtual, over the phone, through base camp, through sharing documents. So um, Adina and her team at the Museum for History and Holocaust education were we're doing really important work there, but and then we were preparing the music and working on some of the stuff here. So that that's challenging when you're not all in the same place. But I think we as a collective society have all gotten a lot better at virtual uh, virtual connections and and working remotely. I think probably the second most challenging part of it, which Adina, it's kind of related, is uh, is being able to broadcast this out. Um, the the concert that we did on Sunday, uh, we were doing a lot of back and forth with our school of music regarding some of their streaming technology, and um, in the end, we we did have uh, a Zoom meeting that we were able to broadcast it live. But um, I think that we I'm excited that we have another chance to to do the concert here in Harrisonburg in December, so that we can get a really high quality recording on on some more professional equipment. Yeah, and I'll I'll add to that um, the both challenges and opportunities that just the COVID-19 pandemic, I think, added to this project. You know, when we started talking about it in the winter of 2019 into the, you know, winter of 2020, we had imagined aiming for a an opening that would be in the fall of 2020, um, but the pandemic essentially put that on hold for a year. But in the process, it gave us some room to sort of stretch and and go a little bit more deeply into interpretive work and more opportunities to reach out to other composers, uh, producers, actors, performers um, for interviews that ultimately contributed, I think, to the richness of the project. So I do think there's a silver lining there with COVID. 
It's really cool that you guys were able to go deeper into this project and able um, really to make so much meaning out of it. Um, and obviously the Holocaust is a deeply emotional and heavy topic. And I, we wanted to know how did you prepare yourselves for the impact this would have on you, on other students, on anyone that would come to the performance and visit and experience this? I guess I can start simply in that um, this work of Holocaust education is, is what I do every day. So I do think sometimes I can maybe almost forget, you know, how um, out of the ordinary it might be to engage with this subject matter for, for some people. And work like this can be actually a very powerful reminder of the, um, of the impact that that makes. Um, but this also kind of helped me refocus my, my uh, research um, onto the, the lives of the people whose stories we tell um, and kind of think through how uh, resonant, you know, those, those biographical stories can be um, for audience members and those who are kind of encountering this for the first time. I think another thing that I found really interesting diving into this was the, um, the ways in which in some cases, the reflections of survivors um, are even more painful than the, the words of the witnesses. So as we were looking at the different poetry and diary entries, you know, the words themselves um, for people who did not um, survive the Holocaust were very much a reflection of, of who they were at that moment, maybe even who they who they hope to be in the future, um, which when you think about that, when you step back and think about that, that is very painful to realize that they're not going to have that future. But the reflections of the survivors and the pain um, that they wrote about um, and the loss of their loved ones, I think that that, that sort of came through in, in their poetry. And I know that that really moved me when I, especially when I heard Sheena performing some of the songs um, by Nellie Sachs and Anne Ranasinga in particular. Yeah, I would like to follow up on the stories connection as well. As a part of this uh, project, uh, both Adina and I had the privilege to speak with Minna Miller, who's the director of Music of Remembrance, which is an organization based out of Seattle that commissions and performs works that commemorate the Holocaust, but also uh, commemorate uh, the tragedy of victims from from situations all across the world. So uh, her work is so important and it was really incredible getting to connect with her in this project. And one of the, the quotes that I used at the end of the lecture recital, I think is, uh, is really apt uh, to think about when, when presenting this work to other audiences. She said, when we commission and perform new works set in the Holocaust shadow, we're not trying to teach history, but to tell stories about people and their lives. And at the end of the day, I think we can all connect with individuals as as people. And, you know, with projects like the, the Six Million Paperclip Project, um, where people are trying to create a physical representation of the number of lives lost 
during the Holocaust, it can be really difficult to comprehend and, and over overwhelming in a lot of ways to, to feel the that that suffering. But when you are thinking about an individual person, when you're hearing an individual story, that's how you open a connection to a person, how they can see into the window of someone else's lives. And uh, I think this concert not only took the beauty of the poetry that these authors, these victims of the Holocaust wrote, but it created a new level of interpretation through the uh, through the com the composer's gifts, um, through Dr. Schur and through Lori Leitman in this particular concert, um, and through Jake um, Haggy and others that are uh, shown in the gallery guide, and also the added layer of the interpretation of the performer. And that's a lot of what I think about as a performer, thinking about how I can best tell these stories. And in the Q&A, that was one of the, the questions that we had this past Sunday was thinking about how to interpret these words as a performer. And I often, when I'm, when I'm working on these words, I will allow myself to have that visceral emotional connection to the music. I think about what it is to embody not only the words, but the spirit and the uh, the essence of these people as a vessel for the audience members. But after I've had that visceral experience, I have to kind of turn it off. I have to recognize what it was that made that uh, experience profound, what it is that I can do with my instrument that will best showcase the, the rawness and the deepness of the emotions. But then I have to go back to my technical um, understanding of the situation. I have to think about what I'm doing with my face, what I'm doing with my body, what I'm doing with my voice, what I'm doing with uh, with how I, I say these and sing these words in an audience. Because if you are having a deep emotional experience, but you're not giving the uh, all of the technique and the training and the work that you've spent years and years and years as an artist perfecting, you're not really elevating the, the words to the level that they could be. So I think that that's really my role as a performer is to, to have that experience, to encapsulate it into myself and to think about that um, as a performer, but then to to channel it and to use my my technique and my experience to tell that story in the most authentic way for both the poet and for the composer. Did anything surprise uh, either of you as you were collaborating on this performance? I think thematically, one thing that I hadn't really realized until we looked at these poets and writers in a comparative fashion was the common themes that emerged across their writing and then also across the musical interpretation. So there were a lot of ideas about sleep and dreaming um, and kind of this need to put your life in, in some kind of stasis while you hope for and imagine something coming out and emerging from the other side. And I will also say that this is something we, in the exhibit, we had two artists um, collaborate with us, both 
uh, affiliated with James Madison University. So we had um, Martha Hemingway and Julia Guevara, and uh, they depicted the writers for the exhibit. And I reached out to them to ask for statements about their interpretation. And they also noticed some of these common themes. This history is not very far away. So this sort of need to depict it in a very vibrant fashion, but also this... um, this focus on dreaming and on sleep and kind of that pain and disbelief that children and teenagers are encountering, realizing that they are being denied a future that is something completely alien, you know, to a young person. And that really came out. So um, that was exciting for me as kind of a scholar and a curator to see those themes emerge. The other thing I'll just note is it, it, It was gratifying um, to see how willing and open so many different artists um, were in sharing uh, their stories with us. So when we reached out to Lori Leitman and uh, Dr. Schur and Jake Heggie and Jean Shear, and I also spoke with uh, Tomer uh, Zavulun, who is the artistic director for the Atlanta Opera, Maya Quinney, who was the actor who portrayed Ava Heyman, um, Wendy Kesselman, who adapted the Anne Frank play most recently, and of course, Minna Miller, who uh, Sheena discussed, they were all so open and excited to talk with us and really share their experience of what it meant to interpret these words um, in these different media. So that was that was a really neat surprise, I think, in some ways. I think another thing that is was surprising to me uh, was seeing how this how this material really connects with different audiences who may or may not be uh, familiar or uh, necessarily exposed on a regular basis to to music like this. Uh, Adina Langer, Adina has a a group of people who. Uh, are connected with the Museum of History and Holocaust Education. And when putting together this program, she invited many of them, and we were fortunate to have um, a very strong like VIP audience uh, members at the concert who were familiar with content that was produced by the museum, but were maybe not necessarily uh, people who have had this uh, kind of this story being told through music. And I I was really blown away uh, this week in particular by the reactions that I've heard from some of those audience members about how the music uh, really created an experience that was so different for them. And I think for myself, I'm so involved in music all the time that I'm quite used to having, you know, ideas and and poetry lifted in, in this way. But for people who are maybe more familiar with the topics of the Holocaust or, or this history, um, how impactful it was. I think, um, we had uh, one of the the audience members, uh, Herschel, Adina, remind me of his last name? Herschel Greenblatt. Yes, Herschel Greenblatt. Uh, at, at the very beginning, you know, he 
as soon as we opened it up to the the Q&A for the audience, he said that the sound of lullaby of the Selma Mirbaum Isinger poems uh, describing a mother speaking, uh, singing to her child immediately brought him back to the displaced persons camp and hearing his own mother singing to him and uh, providing him comfort when they had uh, just come out of the barbarities of World War II. And, you know, thinking that music could transport someone um, so quickly and immediately back to um, a time in their life that was so raw and emotional was was really uh it was it was a very important part of of this collaboration, and it's been something that I I truly treasure from from going to, from doing this with Adina for the last almost two years. <laughs> yeah, and going on um, how this affects audiences um, that are viewing. How do you think that this exhibit can connect with audiences specifically at JMU, um, young people that are seeing this performance when you arrive here in December? It's been really incredible seeing the the JMU community come together uh, in this project. Like Adina mentioned, there are the two visual artists who who did the work. So uh, having the exhibit panels, which have history and the poetry, but also these original artworks that are going to to pull in people who have more of a background in in, in that area. Uh, And then, you know, we have uh, all of the performers uh, in the program are from JMU. I performed with uh, Dr. Jeanette Zyko, who is our oboe professor here at JMU, and uh, Jeremiah Padilla, who is another DMA candidate in piano uh, at JMU. So we have uh, a lot of performers and strong connections uh, in that way. But uh, finding out about the Cohen Center and learning about the wonderful work that you all do about interdisciplinary uh, humanities and arts projects was also a really exciting um, connection that we've made in this process uh, to open it up to potentially different audiences as well, people who are interested in interdisciplinary work, because I think that that's one thing that has that really does set this project apart. Um, to have two people like Adina and I who have known each other for years and years and have worked to become professionals in our industries, mine in music and Adina in in history and in in museums, to have us come together in this uh, way to provide a an immersive experience that uh, not only is that you can delve into intellectually, but you can feel it emotionally through the music. I think that it's going to connect with a lot of different audiences. And I'm uh, hopeful that that some of the people who listen to this podcast might join us in December, uh, December 5th here at the Forbes Center at um, for, for the, the recital. And I'll also add that um, I will be bringing the exhibit um, for the recital. So um, an added piece, thinking about students at JMU and young people in general, you know, all of the um, the writers that we feature um, were young 
during the the uh, the years um, encompassed by the Holocaust, even even those like Eli Wiesel um, or Nellie Sachs, who wrote about their experiences later, there's this really immediate connection, I think, between someone who is looking at the world, you know, kind of with new newer eyes and and someone who was doing that years ago, this kind of witnessing through writing. And my hope is that students will will pick a writer, you know, who intrigues them um, from the exhibit or from the performance and kind of dive more deeply um, into their works through the uh, digital gallery guide um, and, and take that opportunity to, to make a deeper connection. Um, and then we, we also encourage or feature um, suggested artistic expressions um, based on the perspectives and experiences of each of the writers. Um, so so uh, we hope that students might be moved to, to share their creations with us, you know, after they after they create poetry or um, even playlists, you know, based on um, looking at these writers' experiences. And speaking of uh, performances in the audience, what is one aspect of this performance that you hope will stick with your audiences, um, something that they will always remember um, above all else through this through this performance and this exhibit. Oh, Adina, can I use your quote? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, when I when we did our performance on uh, Sunday, I think that this quote that is at the end of the uh, exhibit itself, which which Adina put together so eloquently, uh, really encapsulates what I hope, what we hope that audiences will take away from this event. And she writes. We hope this exhibit will motivate you to find your voice and share a story, whether that story is your own or one you connected with through empathy. You can help expand the web of connections across space and time through the creative process. As a writer, artist, composer, performer, producer, or supporter, you have the power to inspire others to hear the voices of the past. Those voices call on us to work to realize a better future. Wow, that's really um, inspiring and very um, something that I will remember from this podcast above all else, for sure. Um, finally, you know, what was most enjoyable about this performance for you? Um, if you could pick one thing or two things about this whole project for you, what was the most enjoyable part? I mean, I would say um, getting the opportunity to work with a dear friend on something um, with such a deep and lasting impact, you know, for others, that ability to um, mix together that that long standing personal connection with our professional interests and experiences. Um, you know, all the cliches about interdisciplinary work, I think are true. I mean, it was, it was really transcendent in that way. Um, and then seeing that impact, um, like Sheena mentioned on the members of our audience, you know, both those who had a, a deep personal connection and those who didn't, you know, it was really interesting to see what, what people had to say, who, who seemed really, um, moved, you know, by, by experiencing this. And I would add one, one other thing, which is just that, that joy of, um, live performance, you know, COVID I think has, um, certainly helped us appreciate how much 
we have that is recorded and transmitted. But when you are able to be there in the space with the music and the audience and the commentary and have it all come together, um, you know, in this singular moment, it is a powerful experience. I don't know if I can add any more to that because Adina really captured it entirely. Uh, you know, we I've had the opportunity to to make music with friends, uh, even friends from from college. In in 2018, I had the opportunity to do um, a full recital of of music with organ with another one of our best friends. Um, that was really really special to me. But I think having the connection with with history and with poetry and with the visual arts it really did take this project to a different level um unlike really any other performance i've been a part of as simply as a musician i think that all of these layers of interpretation all of these connections with uh composers who were so uh excited to share their talents their gifts and their time with us as we put together this project uh, has been really really incredible and I'm excited to continue the work as the exhibit comes here to JMU in December. Well thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast today. And thank you listeners for joining us today on this episode of Conversations at the Cohen Center. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. Make sure to follow us at Instagram and Twitter at JMU Cohen Center. And be on the lookout for more conversations at the Cohen Center.